0: All right, let's take our Bibles again and go to John chapter number 13, John chapter number 13, and in some ways, similar to the message at 10 o'clock this morning, uh, we're going to be dealing with a passage of Scripture, uh, but zeroing in on one of the verses, more in particular today, and uh, really just some resting thoughts that... Uh, as I was preparing this week, just sometimes sometimes God just kind of stops you to consider and to think on some principles. And um, certainly as we look at John 13, we've just come from uh, the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and the number of lessons we learned uh, from that text last week. I hope those are still uh, with you as we stop and consider what Jesus was doing, why he was doing it, the lessons that he was teaching, because it's valuable and vital for us to understand the next series of events that take place. Uh, Jesus, after he announces to these disciples and those that are in this room, uh, he begins to expound upon something he had said before in verse number 11. Uh, the, The Bible says that he declares, Ye are not all clean. He gets more specific now in verse number 18 about someone in the midst of them that has been declared as being unclean. Again, we understand the principles of the washing of the feet and how much more that that went beyond just a simple service act, that Jesus was indicating by those things uh, more than just how to serve one another. He was declaring also the need of uh, daily repentance, but he was also showing that there were some in the midst uh, who were not clean. If you'll look with me at verse number 18, I just want to read verse 18 and then we will, we'll move along as... Uh, dictated to us today, but look what he says in verse 18. Jesus speaking says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. I want to consider the subject today of the betrayer of Jesus. The betrayer of Jesus. You see, in verse 18, much like we had in our message this morning, there are expressions that are very clear, definitive expressions, almost as if they could all stand alone in what Jesus is trying to convey. Those expressions, he says, I speak not of you all. The second one, I know whom I have chosen. The third one, but that the scripture, the third one, the fourth one may be fulfilled the fifth one he that eateth bread with me and then the sixth expression hath lifted up his heel against me. Jesus is identifying not by name yet but identifying that within this group there is someone who is not there for the what appears to be the right reasons. In other words, these expressions describe a person who Jesus says is ultimately going to be my betrayer, the person who is going to begin the process of carrying out that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Now, he says that I speak not of you all. In other words, what Jesus is addressing here is he's he's addressing them and he's saying, "You um, you are not all clean. In other words, you do not all possess this characteristic of being clean before me. You you do not have this character. But then he uses an expression, I know whom I have chosen. Now, Jesus here is, is, is evidently telling us that he had not chosen them all. Now, this leads us down a path where we begin to wonder, well, wait a minute. Uh, All 12 of the disciples, scripturally speaking, were chosen by God. They were chosen by Christ. He, He chose personally those 12 disciples. Now, remember, all 12 of those disciples sitting in that room know that Jesus chose them. He appointed them to be his disciples. And now suddenly he says, I know whom I have chosen, but I'm also, I'm not speaking of all of you. These 12 men sitting in this room at this point have all indicated or believe or under the impression that they are these chosen individuals of Christ. As a matter of fact, about the person he's talking about here in John 6.70, we we studied this uh, 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 eons ago. Uh, John 6.70, Jesus said, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. Now in John 6, we know Jesus already identified who the betrayer was. Verse 71 in John 6 goes on to say, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the 12. So what Jesus is saying here about the chosen, he's not saying that, listen, one of you got into my discipleship by me not choosing you. What he's indicating here is, I know whom I've chosen. I have chosen you 12 as my disciples. However, this word, the word chosen here, has to indicate that Jesus has now changed the tone of what the word chosen means. Because now he is saying, I know whom I have chosen. In other words, I just said, I'm not speaking of all of you. All of you are not clean. So the meaning of the word chosen has now taken a bit of a different turn. So what he's not saying is that I didn't choose you as a a disciple. What he is saying, though, I know who I've chosen to be saved, who I've chosen to be clean. Jesus, without question, the Bible teaches us, had chosen Judas personally to be one of the disciples. The life and ministry of Christ would demonstrate that Jesus at all times treated Judas... As one of the twelve, in other words, we don't see Jesus in the ministry as the twelve were sitting at his feet listening. We don't see Jesus treating Judas any different. In other words, he doesn't look at Judas and say, "Now, Judas, all this is for you, uh, or this is for the other eleven. You're excluded." But Jesus has, I already identified. He already knows who this betrayer in the midst is. Now, remember contextually, the disciples have no idea that one of the 12 is going to be a direct fulfillment of Scripture. They have no idea that one of them is the one that's going to deliver Jesus up to be crucified. This event, this cleaning, this, this washing of the feet, and Jesus speaking here, this is an important portion of prophecy being fulfilled. In other words, this is not something that's just happening by random chance. This is Jesus fulfilling scripture himself. Now, Jesus is implying, even as he has treated Judas as a disciple, he's treated him just like he treated the other 11. He's now using the word chosen to refer to Judas's heart or Judas's purity. He's using it as a a dividing line. In other words, by saying, I know whom I've chosen, that phrase indicates there is an exception to that. In other words, I know which one of you have been chosen to this purity of heart, to this salvation, to this eternity, but I also know there's one of you amongst you who's not clean. Okay, so what he's not saying is you're not a disciple, but what he is saying is one of you is not clean. That's important to keep in mind as we move forward. So, what does it say about the remaining 11? It's saying that the remaining 11 had been and would be saved, or that they filled, they came into that expression that Jesus says, You're clean, but one of you isn't. One of you is not. As a matter of fact, he goes on and says, Not only are you not clean, you have eaten bread with me, but at the same time, you've lifted up your heel against me. Now, that's important to keep in mind. All 12 had the same familiarity with Jesus. All 12 possessed the same office. There was no yellow mark, red mark, blue mark on Judas that said, he's different. All 12, if you would have walked into town with Jesus and you would have been seen with him, those are Jesus's 12 disciples. They're always with him. There was no identifying mark on Judas that said he's the one. Jesus, though, says about this, that this betrayer who has been with me, there's something different about him. Now we could say a lot of characteristics about Judas. We could say that, ultimately, as we fast forward to the pages of time, we could say, what was Judas's downfall? And we might say something like this. He had a love of money. He was greedy. Uh, he, he desired to, uh, to, to, to get gain by selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Some people have told the story that the only reason Judas betrayed Jesus was because of 30 pieces of silver. That's not what the Bible actually says. What it actually says is Judas betrayed Jesus to fulfill the Scripture. Now, there's a difference in that. Now, Judas was greedy, Judas did sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas did have some remorse after he had done that. But the reason Judas fulfilled or did what he did was a fulfillment of the scripture. And what Jesus says right here that the scripture may be fulfilled. In other words, everything that's getting ready to happen is a fulfillment of scripture. Now, as we consider that, we consider Judas in the midst of. Of these individuals. Now, notice, break this expression up. He said, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture, let's just stop there for a minute, but that the scripture, Jesus is saying that these things have occurred in the order that they have, so that the prophecies will receive their completion and their fulfillment. In other words, the scripture is the guide of what's happening here. Scripture is what is telling what's happening. Now, as we think about that, we need to understand something about Judas. And we need to understand something about Scripture fulfillment. And we need to understand something about the sovereignty of God that's often misunderstood. Some of you, this will rattle around a few minutes and it, it'll, it, it'll take a minute to get because I'm, I'm still dealing with this too. Judas was not forced by God into the course of action he pursues. In other words, don't look at this as saying that Judas somehow, because of the fulfillment of scriptures, lost his ability to make a choice. Oftentimes we have have negated the sovereignty of God into a place where God just turns everybody into robots and that God forced them. That's not the principle here and that's not what it means. The fulfillment of Scripture is a fulfillment of that which was foretold to happen. In other words, the prophecy of what takes place here received a completion in Judas. Is everybody following? In other words, there would be a betrayer that would betray Jesus, and that betrayer will be revealed later to be Judas. The prophecy was fulfilled. The Scripture said there will be a betrayer of Jesus, that betrayer when he comes. Judas is the fulfillment of what Scripture said would happen. But we often try to force everything into a box and we try to force it in and say, okay, so Judas is forced. Pharaoh was forced. No, it does not negate man's responsibility before God. But Judas is, the scripture indicates about him. I'm gonna show you some examples of this in just a moment. So it was foretold by prophecy. Now there's a scripture that's in Psalm 41:9. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this because I want us to see this and this is a scripture that's often referenced, but this kind of sets the the kind of sets the the, the foundation for where we're going with this. Look at Psalm 41:9. We know that this is a psalm of David. Uh, we know that as David is writing this, he is speaking from a a personal perspective. David knew what it was to have his own betrayers. He knew what it was to be betrayed by his own son, Absalom. And so when David speaks here in Psalm 41.9, David says this, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now what's interesting is David quotes or says nearly what Jesus says in John 13, 18. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me is what Jesus says in John 13, 18. David says nearly the same thing. A familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, I pray that this doesn't get too deep today, because this is, this is going to delve a little bit more into uh, more of a, a theological uh, uh, message here, a little deeper than, than maybe we're getting used to. So let's talk about the immediate context of Psalm 41.9. David personally could not have been speaking of Judas, right? Judas did not exist. So David's writing in Psalm 41, nine, about his own personal experience with a betrayer. Now, we'll identify him in just a minute. We could say there's a number of people David's referring to, but David himself is not talking about Judas. Now, this scripture, because Jesus quotes it, shows us that there is a fulfillment or there is a parallel between the betrayer of David and the betrayer of Jesus. That's important to keep the distinction here. Often what what people do is they see John 13, 18, and they say, I'm gonna run right to Psalm 41, 9, because David was talking about Judas. David was talking about his own betrayal, but David is in the Bible a type of Christ. He is a representative picture of Christ. So as David speaks about a betrayer, he's not speaking of Judas per se, But Scripture is also being fulfilled in Judas by even what David says. You have here a a parallel of two betrayals. David knew what it was to be betrayed. It's written in Psalm 41, 9, which is commonly understood of a man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel is a man who was considered to be an enemy of David but at one time, Ahithophel was a friend of David's. He was such a close friend of David's that he had been admitted into the inner circle of David's fellowship. Now that's, that's important to remember. A trusted friend, who David's talking about in Psalm 41.9 is his familiar friend Ahithophel. Ahithophel we're told about in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, if you'll find there, look at at 2 Samuel 15, verse number 12. Let's get a little bit of a history lesson about Ahithophel. Because this man is ultimately, he is received as a friend. He is received into the fellowship with David. But yet he ultimately becomes David's greatest enemy and becomes the man who is a betrayer of his friend. So look at 2 Samuel 15, verse number 12. 2 Samuel 15, verse number 12. And um, this we find this in a context of Absalom, who is who? David's son. David's son, Absalom, deceived and betrayed his own father. All right? So... Let's let's just begin in verse seven, so we can get the context here. Second Samuel 15. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron, for thy servant vowed a vow I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gillow, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Remember, Absalom was trying to overthrow his own father. While he's trying to overthrow his own father, David has a counselor by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel, a counselor, is a most trusted person. Listen, if I come and ask you for counsel, I trust you. If you come and talk to me, you trust me. A trusted counselor, a trusted advisor. Now remember, the 12 disciples of Jesus were indicated as being admitted into the fellowship with Jesus. They would be referred to as familiar friends. To be a disciple is to be admitted into that fellowship. Now, if Ahithophel's story ends here, We say this is wonderful. David has a trusted counselor. But the problem is, as you follow the life of Ahithophel, you find out that as Absalom is building this desire to overthrow his father David, Absalom poaches Ahithophel, we'll use that expression, and Ahithophel becomes on the side of Absalom. Now, where does the Bible teach us about that? 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. It doesn't take long in our reading to see this happen. You're already in 2 Samuel 15, and you'll notice drop down to verse 31. We see in verse 31, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel turns on David, becomes Absalom's counselor, and David's prayer request is what? I pray that you'll turn Ahithophel's counsel towards my son Absalom into foolishness. So here you have a familiar friend, Ahithophel, who goes from being David's counselor to now a conspirator. It goes one step further. And I want you to watch this because this is important. So Ahithophel now has defected over to the side of Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 16, verse number 20, we see what happens to Ahithophel. Now remember what David prayed, right? David prayed, turn his counsel into foolishness. Verse 20 of 2 Samuel 16. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art aboard of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired of the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. The verse, verse one of chapter 17. This recounts Ahithophel now pursuing after David. He's he's now, he's gone from counselor to now he's trying to kill him. Moreover, Hithophel said unto Absalom, let me now choose out 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king only. This is, this is Hithophel, the trusted counselor says, listen, give me 12,000 men. As soon as I find David, I'm gonna kill him. Keep Judas in mind. Okay? Keep keep that in the back of your mind. I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all return, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Now, counsel goes on, we don't have time to cover all of this, but the council of Hushai now comes in, and Absalom calls now for another counsel. He asks that counselor for his opinion, and he gives he gives the opinion. And Absalom does something. He takes Hushai's counsel over Ahithophel. In other words, he says, listen, Ahithophel, he had his counsel, but we're going to follow the command of Hushai instead. So now look at verse number 14. So the Bible says, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Then said Hushai unto Zadok and unto Abathar the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now, for sake of time, drop all the way down to verse 23. Okay, there's events that take place here. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, this is absolutely astounding. He saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulchre of his father. Now, I don't know if you know the story of how Judas' life ends, but the similarities are staggering. Between Ahithophel and what happened to him, he goes from a familiar friend who had bread with, the father, with, the, with Jesus. Ahithophel had fellowship with David. David as a type of Christ is indicating a picture. There is a principle here. Jesus quotes David's betrayal. Which means the similarities between Ahithophel and Judas, they are similar, and we should look at them and say, now here's a parallel that's happening here. David, as a type of Christ, speaks about a, a betrayal that will take place. Jesus says, one of you who seated at this table is a familiar friend. Now, we understand the concept. The, the context is a bit different. Uh, there was It's not necessarily a council that Judas uh, breaks. But Ahithophel committed suicide... When his advice wasn't taken, Judas ends up killing himself when he realizes what he had done. Now, go back to the text in John 13 and look again. But that the scripture, we took these two phrases different on purpose, may be fulfilled. Scripture is the guide. Scripture speaks of the prophecy. The prophecy tells of a fulfillment and the fulfillment then comes to be. May be fulfilled. So as we read this from Jesus, it is it's difficult for us to tell whether the prophecy of Psalm 41 is a primary reference that Jesus is making to Judas exclusively or Ahithophel. Because he's quoting Scripture. So what is the purpose here? Jesus, and we could be looking at this as the complete fulfillment of what happened with David. The complete fulfillment of the betrayal is found in, Jesus, in Judas. In other words, we see a picture of a prophecy that's coming in David as a type of Christ pointing us to what's going to happen and that when Judas comes onto the scene, Jesus is acknowledging that the fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 41.9 has now come all the way around and been fulfilled in Judas. So while David wrote about a betrayal... He wasn't writing about necessarily knowing Judas is going to come and be the one to betray Jesus, but he was writing about a prophecy that would be totally and completely fulfilled in Judas when he betrayed Jesus. Again, don't get the idea that this is forced. Ahithophel made the decision to defect from David. Ahithophel made the decision to become the counselor of Absalom. Ahithophel made the decision to hang himself when his counsel wasn't taken. I'm saying all this to don't try to force God into a box and say Judas had no choice in the matter. Judas had a choice at every step of the way. But what we see is that Judas would be the complete, perfect fulfillment of the prophecies that the Scripture said. There would be a betrayer of Jesus and Judas was the one who fulfilled the prophecy. Just like the prophecy that Isaiah wrote about a coming Counselor, he was prophesying about who Jesus. When Isaiah was talking about a Counselor who would come, the Mighty King, he was prophesying where did the fulfillment come? The fulfillment came in Jesus. So what you see happening here is you see these similar cases. Yet David describes his event. Judas, uh, Jesus describes what Judas is going to do to him. The cases were similar. But here's what we can say about both of these individuals Ahithophel and Judas. We could say both of them were guilty, number one, of the ungratefulness of being welcomed into the fellowship of the king. Ahithophel had David's ear, Judas was in the inner 12. You say, well, yeah, Jesus, Jesus chose him. Yes, they were both inside. They were both extended that hand of fellowship. But in both cases, whether Jesus is talking about what happened to David, and David is a type of Christ, or he's talking about himself, we see fulfillment of Scripture taking place right in front of us. Now notice he says, he that eateth bread with me. Now we read these verses and we don't necessarily dig deep enough to understand what's the big deal. To eat with a person scripturally and you will we'll see a couple of verses was to indicate a proof of friendship there are some that have taught this idea that Jesus was really not a friend of Judas so explain to me why when he's in the garden why he kisses Judas on the cheek and he says friend Jesus was a friend of Judas Jesus would have considered and i know this is difficult a trusted friend he was inside the he was inside the the twelve to eat with that person was a proof of friendship. We can go all the way back to the the first book of the bible in genesis forty three thirty two that gives us some indication about this principle of 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 eating with another person indicating friendship and of course this is during uh the famine, but in genesis forty three verse number thirty two Just as an expression, uh, you can see how the the Egyptians looked at this and how the people of God looked at this, and it, it tells us that there's a feast that's occurring, and it says, "...and they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians." So here's an example. The Egyptians looked at it. If we ate bread with them, that's an abomination. Yet Jesus ate bread with Judas. David ate bread with Ahithophel. You see the similarities running through this. You were there in 2 Samuel 15. Go to 2 Samuel 9. And I want you to see this because you see another principle of uh, David as a a type um, helps us helps us understand this a little bit more. 2 Samuel 9, 11. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son, Whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. That story, by the way, if you want to study, study the story of Mephibosheth. Just don't say it too many times. But study that story. If you will look at the parallels between what David is announcing. At my, and understand who Mephibosheth was. He was related to a man by the name of Saul. You might have heard of him. It's not Paul, Saul that pursued David and tried to kill him. Here is David taking care of the offspring and the relative of his worst enemy, Saul. The principles are amazing here, what's happening. And then Matthew 9.11, Matthew 9.11. And just to kind of give us another picture here, and this is a picture of Jesus himself. It it, it helps us just to get get just a little bit of a view of, again, of who he is. The Bible tells us as Matthew is following Jesus, we see in verse 9, it says, And Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Notice, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, notice there's, he clearly heard the question. He said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice there were sinners and publicans seated at the table with Jesus. There were those that were at the table who were not his. Judas is seated at the table, welcomed into the fellowship of friends, and yet Jesus says, you are not one of mine. So why is Judas there? Judas is there that the scripture may be fulfilled. Again, not forced into it, but a fulfillment of scripture. So what we see this eating of bread, this means that Judas had been admitted into all of the privileges of friendship. He had been a partaker of all the evidences of affection. Now, I'm not trying to get draw a picture here. But these 12 disciples, these men that were with Jesus, this was not just kind of a, a business arrangement. Jesus showed affection for them. Jesus called them friends. John even refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This was not just some kind of a, uh, guys, just kind of get in order and follow. I'm going to teach you some things, and then I'm going to go away. There was an affection here, and Judas was shown that same affection. Matter of fact, we know that Judas was chosen to be the treasurer. That's why the Bible refers to him as, he was the one that was responsible for the bag. That tells you the disciples had no idea that Judas should even be questioned as to who he was. He could be trusted. You see it. The parallels between Ahithophel and Judas are almost astounding at how closely they're running together. So if Christ, by quoting Psalm 41, nine, is applying John 13.18 to the person of Judas, and we certainly can understand that, David, as he's speaking of himself in Psalm forty-one nine was not speaking as just some common private person. David was speaking in Psalm 41, nine, as a representative of the person of Christ. In other words, David provides an example of Christ and also an example to who the church ought to be to learn from. In other words, we ought to look and think about Psalm 41.9 and not say, "What that happened to David. You and I as the church ought to learn from Psalm 41.9. We ought to learn from John 13.18. We ought to make applications about those things. But a point that we see here what David, what was begun in David with his betrayal was fully accomplished in Christ. Okay, now that's deep theology, but that's, that's why I kind of told us that's where we're going. What was begun in David was fully accomplished in Christ. In other words, what David started had to come to pass. The fulfillment of the scripture that David writes about and spoke about the prophecies were fulfilled fully in Christ and seen to their completion in Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Folks, even the enemies of God, even the foes of God, those are fulfillments of what the Bible said was going to happen. Today we were just talking in between services Jesus himself said, the world is going to hate you because it hated me first, right? That fulfillment of what Jesus says is happening every time somebody is persecuted, ridiculed for the gospel. So we make this statement. It's the scriptures being fulfilled. Now, is anybody forcing someone to mock the street preacher, for example, right? Is anybody, is anybody forcing him? No. Is, is anybody forcing that person to say, listen, I'm giving you the gospel to repent and believe. Is God saying, I'm forcing you not to repent, I'm forcing you not to believe. No, man is left to make that decision to repent and believe, See, if you get this all wrong, you'll start looking at the sovereignty of God and say, what, this, is why people, this is why people are fighting this. Because their definition of the sovereignty of God means God, which isn't the right biblical interpretation, is that God has forced everybody to just be a bunch of robots. That's not sovereignty. Man still has a responsibility. Judas had a responsibility to act right, do right, choose right. Ahithophel had the the responsibility to act right and do right. Because folks, I'm telling you today, if you leave here today with the idea that the sovereignty of God means God forces and contorts and makes people do things they don't want to do, you still don't get the sovereignty of God. He still did not force you to become a child of God. He did not conform you and twist you and contort you. You still decided one day I'm going to repent and believe. And so many times we just write these things off. And again, you say, well, preacher, what about the things when this is why Pharaoh was made? That my glory may be displayed. And Judas, what about Judas? You see, all of this taking place is a fulfillment of Scripture. Again, don't look at this as something that God just gives us scripture to force everything into this perfect little box we can understand. We're seeing the fulfillment of what God before the foundation of the world said would happen. And what we see that from a personal perspective, even our most trusted friend can be your greatest source of betrayal. Now again, that's the ultimate lesson of this is about Jesus's betrayal, not yours. But there's a principle there. There's somebody today by way of application that you trust more than anybody who could betray you in an instant and you would never know it because they were inside of your circle of friendship, your circle of fellowship. It happens all the time. Now, that's not the main emphasis of the passage It's not... Go out and look for your betrayers and be on the lookout. The text is about Jesus' betrayal. Which, by the way, there's no betrayal that you're ever going to experience that will measure up to what Jesus is experiencing and what happens to him. Even your most trusted friend that betrays you is never going to measure up to the betrayal of Jesus. It's never even going to come close. And some of you know what betrayal is. Some of you know what it is to be betrayed by somebody you trusted. But that's not the main point, is that we should be on guard for our betrayer. No, it's the proof that the scriptures will be fulfilled, and they will always be fulfilled, and their completion is found in Christ. When you see this, and you see what's happening here, you see that Jesus, as he refers again back to John 13, 11, when he said, you are not all clean, Remember what he was speaking of. He was speaking not just of dirty feet. He was speaking of the washing of regeneration, the redemption. He was speaking about forgiveness. He was speaking about repentance. When he tells Peter, you don't even know what I'm doing now, but one day you will know. Don't get the idea that Peter had a full understanding when he said, Lord, wash me from head to toe that Peter fully understood what Jesus was telling him because Jesus clearly says, Peter, you're not going to know right now. Well, guess what? It wasn't until after Jesus' death that Peter even begins to get an understanding of all that just took place. You don't really see, and I don't know if this is the right word, you don't really see Peter's real diligence and zeal for Christ until after Jesus went to the cross and died. Peter became more zealous after those things came to be. Remember, the disciples were not looking to the cross. They didn't have a concept of what was happening. That's why Jesus says, my washing of your feet, if there's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of conversion. It's a picture of all these things and then he announces, but you're not all clean. As a matter of fact, one of you, not only are you not clean, it's my betrayer and he's in our midst. But that... Feet washing showed that picture. And I thought I've talked with somebody this week about this already, that it's a picture of the daily forgiveness of sin we need. It's a picture of the daily devotion we have to Christ as believers, as he is our master and we are to, we are to serve one another. But he said all those things, but Judas was not one. Judas was the hypocrite in the group. Judas was the one that was there for the wrong reasons. But don't lose sight of the fact that when Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen, he spoke to those, not as apostles, because Judas was one, but he spoke to those he had chosen to salvation, eternal life, in the way of God. Listen, folks, if we're to, if we're to say what's happening here, and again, I told you this is theological, and it maybe is a little too deep for today, I'm not sure. But the betrayal of Judas, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas is a fulfillment. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. And when you and I sit and we wonder, everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. Everything. We're going to talk about the rest of these verses next week because the rest of these verses, Jesus begins to elaborate on what's actually happening. He's going to identify by an observation to the disciples but we often don't think about this. Those who are seated at the table, he who dips into the sop, that one, that betrayer, he's in our midst. He's right here. And yet you don't really see the disciples say, it's him. And we'll see why that matters. So what we need to understand today is that we as his believers, we as his followers, And we've already prayed about the persecuted church from the outside. But we also need to be aware that the Apostle Paul himself said there would be fightings without but also fears from within. That's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. It is not beyond the realm of possibility for those who are most trusted to be in place to where a betrayal takes place to our church, to our families, to our individuals. But again, that's not the main message. Folks, I want us to so understand that when you see prophecy and you see things fulfilled and you see things happen and you say, listen, that's the scripture, I want you to praise the God who's behind it. Because you realize that this prophecy being fulfilled by Judas is what took Jesus to the cross willingly and without his death, without his burial, without his resurrection, without his ascension, you and I don't have a gospel to preach. And yet a foe, a trusted friend is used to fulfill the scripture. You could write a character study on Judas and say all the things of how bad of a man he was and you could say all the things he was guilty of but you could also say, listen, Judas was used to fulfill the scriptures that God said and he fulfilled them and completed them and Christ is that complete fulfillment. Again, next week we'll look at this betrayer being more definitively identified and then also we see Jesus' departure and as Jesus leaves... Uh, this, is, this is, again, one of those uh, defining moments in what Jesus is getting ready to do. So we'll look at that um, next week. Again, I know uh, more deeply theological uh, for today, but I hope this will be a help, and I hope we're getting what God wants us to get from it. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And as we leave today, let's remember the, uh, the events and the things that are out before us. Uh, continue to pray for, again, as we pray during our first service about um, all that have been affected by these tragedies in, in uh, Texas and, of course, here not far from us. And um, again, even in the midst of it all, we know there's a God on the throne. We know there's a God in control, uh, but uh, families going through very difficult things tonight and today and, quite honestly, for the rest of their lives, um, unimaginable. And I hope you'll be faithful in praying for them. Lord, as we bring our Time as a corporate body to a close today as a church together, worshiping you in one spirit and in one accord. Lord, I pray that this would not break that spirit, but simply we would go our separate ways and again be reminded of the goodness of God. Father, we thank you for the word, how it has left uh, no stone unturned. Lord, there is an answer, there is an explanation, there is no contradiction in the Bible. And Lord, although there are things that we may never fully understand intellectually, we may never fully come to the ability to even maybe express it or teach or even tell someone else, we know that there is a promise that has been given by God. And Lord, in the world that we live in that is filled with, uh, with sin and is filled with darkness, Lord, we're thankful to know that there is a Savior, there is a Redeemer. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here today encouraged, Lord, encourage that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He is is the the judge. He is coming again. Uh, He will come and make all things new. Uh, But Lord, until then, you have told us to occupy till he comes. You have told us to observe uh, the remembrance of what he's done for us, that you have told us to preach and proclaim his word. And Lord, I pray that our desire would be to be obedient followers of Christ. Lord, may we take to heart and, and with a desire to heed all that we've heard today. Lord, we've heard much, but Lord, we've been fed from your word. And I pray that we will not let it escape, that we would meditate upon it. Father, again, thank you for each one that's here today. Lord, I pray that you will guide and direct as we go our separate ways. Bring us back to this place Wednesday, Lord, as we continue to study together. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right. Thank